continuing our study in Genesis. And we are, today we are in the part of Genesis where we're going to talk about the fall of man. And the fall of man basically is, basically chapter 3 is the Bible summary, not just a summary, the Bible's truth about what is, what it, what is exactly wrong with human beings, right? In according to chapter 3, there is a root cause of all human suffering, of all human evil, of all human, of all human brokenness. There is an underlying kernel, a root cause behind all human suffering, all evil, all human brokenness. And that root cause, the kernel, the root cause that is inside of our hearts that is responsible for all this damage is the heart that says, I am right, and God is wrong. That's the nucleus. That's the attitude of the heart. That's the voice in our heads that can continually say, I am right, God is wrong. Another way to explain that is, I am right, truth is wrong. I am right, the full fabric, the whole laws, physical, spiritual laws of the universe is wrong. I am right, and everything is wrong. That's the nucleus of what is wrong with humanity. Right? Look, like we said for the past four weeks, God is the creator of the universe, heaven and the earth, which means God is the one who made reality what it is. He didn't make reality to be chaotic. He made laws that governs this world. This world. Us saying no to God, right? is we're going against the way God created things to be. We are, we are disjointed from the way that God has created this universe to be. And that is why there's much suffering. Look, you don't have to go far to see this example. And I gave you a very simple example that happened to me like four years ago. Four years ago, um, I got a gift card from J. Crew. I think one of you gave it to me. Thank you for whoever you are. Right? Somebody gave me like a you know, gift card to J. Crew. And I go, oh, I love J. Crew. So I went to J. Crew and I ordered a shirt. And um, I'm cheap, so I didn't do next day. I did regular delivery, right? Which is like four or five days. But they usually come in three. I love J.Crew. And so, but like four or five days later, it didn't come, right? So I called J.Crew. Hey, J.Crew, I didn't get the shirt. And J.Crew is so nice. They said, I'm so sorry. We'll send you a new shirt. And they'll send, they sent me a shirt. The, the, day that, the day that I got the new shirt was the same day that my neighbor returned my package. So the first shirt was delivered to my neighbor. And so suddenly, I got this new shirt that Jake presented me, and I have the old shirt. So I have two shirts. Right? If it was an average man, you'll say, just keep it. Right? Is there, is there a mistake? But there's something in me, the pastor in me, that says, you know what? I should do the right thing and return the one. Right? Because, you know, I don't deserve the other one. Right? So during one of my, you know, meetings with some of the people, who are not here, by the way, so... You know, so the people, so I was talking with some of the group of people who like, was not here, and I told them this dilemma. I got this shirt, a shirt from Gay Crew, and I should return it. I should return one. And everyone that I talked to, the Christians that I talked to, what did they say? Don't be crazy. Don't be stupid. Right? Live a little. Don't return it. What harm can it do? Do you see how that works? There's a clear law that says that doesn't belong to me. And not getting what doesn't belong to me is stealing. But to us, that's not a big deal. It's not like I'm murdering someone. It's not like I'm embezzling thousands of dollars from the church. It's a small infraction. What's the damage in that? This small attitude is everywhere, isn't it? There's a way that the God designed the universe to be. There's a way that the God designed our souls to be. But we say, that's not, you know, that's not realistic. I'm going to do it my way. Right? I was talking, I was, I was, I was at the, one of the small groups, and we were talking about 
you know, business practices. All of us work. And they said, we talked about there's some situations where, you know, we have to be honest, right? But there's a part of us that says, honesty is for suckers. We've got to live in the business world. We're going to do things differently in the business world, right? Clearly, honesty is how God designed us to be, but our sinful mindset, we've got to be savvy in the business world. We've got to play the game. I am right. God is wrong. That attitude kills you, kills people around us, kills the world. And why do we have that attitude? Why do we have that attitude? Why do we always think that I'm right and God is wrong? It's because we have dethroned God from our hearts. We have dethroned it. He was the king. We said, oh, we, we moved him as king. And we place our opinions, our thoughts there. Human beings are the only creatures in all of God's creation that dethrones God. Every creature, every plant, every animal in this world live in accordance to how God designed it. They're acting exactly how God designed them to be. Human beings are the only creation that says, nope, you're not my king. I'm going to dethrone you and I'm going to make you, you're you're not my king, I'm my own king. I am right. And you can see that. Psalm 2. It says, The kings of the earth rise, and the rulers band together against the Lord, and against His anointed one, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. What are they saying? They're saying, God is limiting me. God is tying me. And I want to be free from God. And I want to be my own king. The dethroning of God is what sin is. When you want to dethrone God from your mind, hearts, and souls, what will remain is your opinion, your perceptions, what you think is right. And you will start to live in accordance to everything according to your point of view and not God's. And that is the root cause of all human destruction. History of the world is bloody. History of mankind is bloody. It is ugly. It is destructive. Precisely because men dethrone God and place themselves instead of Him. That is the root cause of all human brokenness. And that is what Satan wants you to do. Satan's number one goal is to kill you. He does. Satan's number one goal is to destroy you. But the way he destroys you is he destroys you by allowing you to dethrone God from your life. That's what he does. Look, I don't know why, but modern movies, modern movies are just obsessed with devils. Right? The possession of Emily Westerface. The possession of Sister Margaret. The possession... It's like, people are just obsessed with demons for some reason. If I see another movie poster with like demonic face on it, I'm going to just like, punch somebody. Right? Because people are just obsessed with demons. Demons are so scary. But if you look at the Bible, demonic attack is not that scary. True demonic attacks, they're very subtle. Sure, in the Bible, there are places where you can see people being possessed by devil, right? Mark chapter 9, I think. Jesus heals the demon-possessed boy. The demon, the boy was possessed by the devil, and because he was possessed, he will like hit himself, he will like convulse, he will like fall at the mouth. There's dramatic demon possession in the Bible, and that's true. And I think there are places in, the, in, in, in Africa and Asia where demonic, visible demonic possession happens. I think it's true. You can YouTube it. And I think it, it pops up. Right? But that's extraordinary. That's not a normal way that devil, devil, devil attacks people. He attacks people. He wants to kill you through ideas, through words. He's so silent. He's not, he's not like, ah! He's like, hey. That's how he attacks. And the way he attacks, he, he whispers lies to you. He whispers ideas to you for one purpose, to kill you by dethroning God from your mind. That's how he does. How do you know that the devil attacks you through words and ideas? You can see it, right? How did he attack Jesus? When Jesus was in the, like, fasting for 40 days. 
He came to Jesus and he put, started to put ideas in Jesus' head. Did he not? Turn this bread into, turn this stone into bread. Jump from the high towers of the temple. Right? Bow to me. He is putting ideas in Jesus' head. Right? Jesus calls Satan the father of lies. Jesus is less concerned about his physical attacks as much as the lies that he promotes to the heart and minds of men. First John says, the Antichrist, the false teachers, are the Antichrist. People who teach false ideas about God are the devil, First John says. So the attacks of the devil is all about ideas and words. That's how he kills you. The, the way that Satan attacked Eve in Genesis 3, the ideas that he's trying to, put in, trying to put in her head is exactly what he's trying to do to you. Make no mistake, there is an attack on you every single day. There's an attack on me every single day. He does it. And the way he attacks you every single day is exactly the way he attacks Adam and Eve. How does he attack Adam and Eve? Let's, let's look. Verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord has made. Verse 1 talks about the serpent. Was the serpent the devil? No. The serpent in the garden was God's creation, according to verse 1. Right? And everything in God's creation was good. Right? And the serpent was a creation of God and was good. It was said that the serpent was crafty. The word crafty has like a negative connotation on it, but if you look at the Hebrew word crafty, it is the same word as prudent, which means very wise. The word crafty and prudent in this context is, means the same, which means the devil is very, very, the serpent was very, very wise. He knew what was up. He knew how to speak. He knew how to persuade. That's, what, that's how the serpent was designed to be. And Satan used that wise creation as a weapon. Satan used the good creation of God as a weapon to tempt Adam, Adam and Eve. The way Satan tempts us, he, do, he, he doesn't do, he do, he, his tool isn't something that is bad. He can perfectly use something that is good to tempt you. A good friend, maybe. No? Your job, maybe. Your entertainment, maybe. Anything. He can use anything of God's creation to tempt you, to kill you. Then why did, why did Satan chose the serpent as his tool? Because, once again, we're back to the idea. Satan destroys with words and persuasion. And what better tool to, to attack, kill men and women than to use a, a, a creature that is very wise and persuasive? So, the Satan uses a serpent and he goes to Eve. And what does the serpent say? First of all, he goes to Eve first. Isn't that interesting? Why did he not go to Adam first? So this wise serpent goes to Eve and not Adam. Why? Is it because women are dumber than men? No. Is it because women are weaker than men? No. The, re the reason why the serpent went to Eve first is because Satan wants to destroy God's order. God made the universe and the world in a particular order. God made the universe and, and, and the world according to a particular set of laws and order. And by going to Eve and not Adam, he's trying to reverse the order that God has made. He's, he's trying to cause chaos to the world that God has made by trying to reverse the order in which God has made the universe. That goes to the same point. Satan's number one goal is to destroy you by making your life chaotic. Right? He attacks God's law in your life. He, he attacks your willingness to obey God's law in your life to make your life chaotic. For example, play video games all day. That's making your life chaotic. Right? Be a workaholic and, for, and ignore your relationships. That's making your life chaotic. Live in resentment, live in, live, live, like just live in resentment, live in hate. That's making your life chaotic. Satan's number one goal is to make your life chaotic. And that is why he went to Eve first and not Adam. Do you feel your life is in chaos right now? Is it disjointed? 
Is it, is it, is it dissatisfying? It's the, attack of the, it's the attack of Satan, you know? So what is it? He goes to Eve, and what does he say? He says, did God really say? The first thing that Satan does to dethrone God from your heart is to make you question the word of God. The very first thing that Satan does to make your life chaotic, to destroy you, to dethrone God from your life, is to make you question the veracity, the legitimacy, the sufficiency, and the power of the Word of God. Did God really say? God made the universe with His Word. God created earth everything that is good on earth, with His Word. God communicated His love and His will for Adam with His Word. Satan says, did I really say that? Making her question the very Word of God. Is it not interesting? Where you know you should study the Word of God. How do I know? Because you always tell me. You, you always, everyone tells me, I should read more. The question is, why, why aren't you doing it? Could it be there are whispers in your brain that says, hey, don't do it. The Word of God is not really relevant to you. The Word of God is not really true. The Word of God is very difficult. Or, hey, do it tomorrow. You know that voice? Hey, do it tomorrow. Everyone, look at, that's, what, that's what's happening to all of us here, isn't it? Every morning you get up and say, I should read. But you don't. Those are the whispers of Satan. Did God really say? Basically, what did he say? He says, Did God really say you must not eat any tree in the garden? Did God really say to you, you can't eat anything from the garden? Did he really say that? What is he trying to do? He's trying to make her question the character of God. Satan attacks you by letting you question the word of God so that you can question the character of God. Who is God? God is this, is this being who is too complex for us to understand. God is the creator. He is the architect. He is the very source of life. He energizes all things to, to, to have its being. He maintains, he sustains all things. He is reality. He is the consciousness. He is God. Not only is he God, he is the God of order and justice and love. And he's very generous. How do you know God is generous? To Adam and Eve, he says, you can eat anything from the garden but one. Anything, anything but one is pretty generous to me, in my opinion. Right? He loves Adam. How do you know? Adam was alone. It is not good for Adam to be alone. So he made Eve. Out of his concern and love for Adam, he made Eve. God is a great architect. God is the great designer. God is the sustainer and maker of life. God is this generous being. God loves his creation. That's God. According to Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. But by saying to Eve, did God really say you can't eat anything from the garden? What is he trying to do? He's trying to make an image of God that is not true. Did God really say you can't eat anything from the, any tree from the garden? What is, what, what is the image of God that he's trying to paint in Eve's mind? He's saying, man, that's God. He must be a control freak, huh? That God, he must be a tyrant. Really? You can't eat anything here? Man, what a tyrant. God is not very generous, Eve. He's not. God, Eve, he's against your freedom. 
Look at that. He's saying no to you, Eve. He's against your freedom and he's against your happiness. By saying, did God really say you can't eat anything for the tree? He's painting an image of, of God who is an ungenerous, unkind, control freak, tyrannical, who hates your freedom, who don't want to be, who don't, who doesn't want you to be happy. That's the image that he's trying to implant in Eve's mind about God. Once you veer, veer away from the truth of God in His Word, what you, you know what you're going to start to do? You're going to, start, you're going to start constructing an idea of God in your head. That's not true. You're going to start constructing a caricature of God, an exaggerated image of God that is very simple. That is, but that is not true. I'm here to tell you, what is hurting you more than anything else is the wrong image of God in your head. Maybe for some of you, God is exactly what Satan trying to convey to Eve. Maybe to God, to you, God is a tyrant. To God, God is a cosmic like spoiler of happiness. Maybe to you, God is a control freak. Do this, don't do that. Maybe to you, God doesn't want you to be happy. Or maybe to some of you, God is just this nice dad who is very impotent, who can't do things. Whatever it is, I guarantee you, when you do not know the word of God, you will have an image of God in your head that is not true, and that, not, that untruth image of God in your head is going to kill you. Don't read the Word of God. Stay with the incorrect image of God in your brain. That's how He, that's how he, he dethrones God from your heart. Can't you see that is happening to you? You tell me about spiritual depression. And I'm telling you, you're depressed. Precisely because of this reason. Word of God has left your mind. And he's, you're stuck with this image of this God that is not true. He throws whispers at you every day, doesn't he? Don't read. You're too busy. You're too tired. Let's do it tomorrow. Don't go to small group. It's raining. It's Friday. I want to have fun. I'm going to go to sleep. Don't go to church. You deserve a Sunday off. Sounds familiar? That whisper is part of a greater scheme to construct an image of a God that is not true. And you know what's interesting? The more you have an idea, a false idea of God in your brain, the more you don't want to read. Isn't that interesting? The more you want to stay with a false idea of God in your head, the less motivated you are to read. God will accept you. God is okay. You're a good person. You don't have to read. Oh, okay, I'm not going to read. Tell me that's not happening to you. It is certainly happening to me. What's happening to Eve? Let's, let's, so, serpent, Satan, through, through serpent, is doing this. And Eve listens to this. And what did Eve say? Verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. Satan attacks her, and she combats with the truth, right? Satan says, did God really say that? And she says, no, he didn't say that. He says, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. And that's true, yay. Oh, but. There's a but. But, she says, right? But, she says, you shall, but, but, God said, you shall not eat of the tree, you should not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, neither shall you touch it, or you will die. Did God say don't touch it, or you're going to die? Did God say that in Genesis chapter 2? No. Eve is adding to it. What is Eve saying? Yes, God said I can eat from the tree, but I cannot eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. Not only can I, 
can I not eat it? If I just touch it, he's going to kill me. You see the turn? Satan pictures an image of God in her brain, and she starts to be persuaded. Isn't that happening to you? It's happening to me. The image of God that you have in your head, is that really biblical? Is that a real, true representation of God? Or are you being persuaded like ye? Side note. I'm going very hard on you today, and I'm going hard on myself, so. You know who the most, you know, in my opinion, in the, in, the, in the biblical perspective, you know who the most dangerous type of person is? person who claims to be a Christian but have no idea who the true God is. People who claim to believe and yet their knowledge of God is not based on the Bible. Those are the false teachers that the Bible warns about. These false teachers are not bad people. The people that John called Antichrist, they're not evil people or they don't think they're evil people. They're good-natured, nice people. What makes them the Antichrist? What makes them dangerous? Is their ignorance of the true God based upon His Word. They think they're Christians. And their image of God is not really based in the Bible. The image of God is just constructed by, I don't know, the pieces of your pieces, their their image of God is constructed by what? I don't know, um, like religious experiences of youth. I felt something at every retreat, therefore I know God, right? Or Christian cliches. You know the Bible verse, let go and let God? That's not in the Bible, by the way. We think it is, but it's not. The principle is there, but those words are not there in the Bible. I, I see y'all, like, a lot of people, y'all, like, quoting me that all the time. And I thought that all may be true, but it's not in the Bible. That's an example of our faith is not really based on the word of God, but cliches that we hear. So maybe part of it is youthful experience, part of it is Christian cliches, part of it is sermon stories that you've heard youth pastors preach. Now, youth pastors preach really good, have really good sermon stories, don't they? Part of it is your mama's faith. Part of it is the world's idea of what God is supposed to be. And you like sew all these, all these things together, and you have an image of God. That is not based on the word, but it's based on something else. And that makes you very dangerous. Especially those of you who claim to be teachers. God bless you if you, if you want to be a Bible study teacher. God bless like, elementary school teachers. God bless the youth group teachers. God bless small group leaders. But, the warning to those who are teaching. If you do not know the word of God, if you do not know God based upon his word, that you are teaching something of God that is not true. And you're leading people away. You may not think that you're doing something that is bad. But that's what you're doing. Christians who think they know, but have no idea about the Bible, are very dangerous indeed. And I'm not saying this to hurt you. I'm saying this to help you, so that you will not you will not sin. Not just teachers of the word, Christians in general. There's a reason why we need to study. And it's not because it's just nice religious practice. The reason why you need to study, it is so that you will not be dangerous. So that you will not be like the serpent playing the devil's role. Do you understand? Once again, the purpose is not to make you feel guilty. I'm preaching this to myself too. Because I know what, what it means to struggle to read the word, but, but, but we must do it anyway. So that we will not be dangerous. Eve is being persuaded, isn't she? Yeah, come to think of it, yeah. God said, if I just touch it, I'll die. God must be a tyrant. Oh, Satan has her now, doesn't she? Now he goes on. What does he say? So, Eve said, if I touch it, 
I will die. Verse 4, certain serpent said to, to the woman, You will surely not die. God said, I will die. Certain says, Nope, God is wrong. You will not die if you disobey God. What is Satan trying to convey to Eve? He's trying to convey Eve, there is no divine judgment. God is not going to kill you. God is not going to punish you. There are no consequences to your sin. Does that sound familiar? You can disobey. You can do this. Because God is a God of love, y'all. There's no judgment in God. He's all accepting. He's the ultimate progressive liberal. He's all inclusive. No judgment. That's what he's trying to say. You can sin, Eve. Because God is not going to punish you. There's no divine judgment. You're not going to die. Was he right? Partly. When she ate of the fruit, did she die in that moment? No. But she did die, didn't she? 900 years later, she died. Physically, she died. But the moment she rebelled, she started to die what? Spiritually. Relationally. Right? How do we know? Verse 7. Like, she was, ashamed. 6 and 7, she was ashamed. She covered herself from her husband. I'll talk about that when we get to that verse. But there's a spiritual, relational death that happens when you disobey. Look, I'll give you an example. Man, I'm making good time here. I thought I was going to be here for like two hours, but I'm, I'm making good time. Right? This is a brilliant example that I came up on this Brooks Small Group meeting on Friday. Chapter 2, right? Example. Chapter 2, God created woman out of man's rib. Right? Not man's foot, so that he'll be, he can step on over her. Not over his head, so that she can control him like a puppet master. Right? Not behind him, so she has to follow him every day. That's not how God created Eve. God created Eve with his, with his rib. And the reason why God created Eve out of the rib of Adam is so that they can, they can be side to side. They can be connected. God's design for marriage is, to be, is so that men and women, right? Like, woman's a suitable helper, which means women can't do what men does. So, the, so that God created humanity to be so that men and women are conjoined like this. That's God's design for marriage. And if the marriage is like this, there's life to this marriage. What is our modern marriage like? Is it this? No. Some, most modern marriages, by the way, if you're single, I'm not trying to dissuade you from getting married. Marriage is great. Ask anyone here. We all love being married. But modern marriage is this. Rather than this, we have different models. We have this, yelling at each other. Or we have this, one party yelling at the other party. Or we have this. Like the husband yelling at the wife, the wife yelling at the husband. Or we have this. I'm here, wife is here. You're looking at me. Married people are looking at me. And they go, yeah, it's true. Isn't it? Sean Stark disagrees. Oh, I mean, you should write a book, Sean Stark. It's either this. This is what it's supposed to be. This is what life is. But we make it this, this, this. And there's death to our marriages. Is there not? That's a small example of the type of death that you experience apart from God. Because you're apart from God, you will die one day physically, but now you die psychologically, you die relationally, you die spiritually. Argument can be made. All the deaths that you experience right now, whether it is broken relationships, psychological depression, Spiritual malaise. Because you're in rebellion. And you're in rebellion because you have a wrong idea of God in your head. You're in rebellion because you think you're right and God is wrong. As long as you're in rebellion, you will die. What does Satan say again? Not only does he say, oh, Satan's so good, isn't he? He's really good at what he does. What does he say in verse 5? 
You will not die, in verse 5, Paul, verse 5, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Not only will you not die, Eve, but when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will know good and evil. The word know here, it doesn't, it doesn't only mean just head knowledge of what is right and wrong, but the word know here means you have the ability to choose what is good and evil. The knowledge here is not just head knowledge, but the, but the power of choice. So Satan, said, Satan is telling you, not only will you know what is good and evil for you, you get to choose what is good and evil. Eve. <gasps> you mean I don't need God to tell me what's good and wrong? I can make my own determination what is right and wrong for me? <gasps> what great privilege! Partly right, isn't he? Don't you think that you're right? Aren't you making the determination what is right and wrong based on what makes sense to you? If what God says, if you agree with what God says, then you say, yeah, I agree. But if something that God says is offensive, you'll say, no, I'm not going to agree with that. Shoot. I'm a reasonable modern man. I'm not going to agree with that. Shoot. You make choices, right or wrong choices, based upon what you think is right and wrong. And that's God. That's why you, you fight all the time with people in your, in your life, by the way. You think you're absolutely right, and the other side is absolutely wrong. What I do when I go to work is, you know, I'm rich, so I got serious satellite radio. I pay for my radio, like I said. And so, on days that I'm not listening to Joe Alstein, right? Like, so, I, I, got, I got Fox News channel... In one set, and CNN in the other set. So I go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Right? And if you do it, you know what you realize? Both sides think they're absolutely right. And both sides think the other one is absolutely wrong. There's no reason to this. They're just wrong, and I am right. Their side is wrong, and my side is right. That's an example of what is happening inside all of us. I am right, and everyone else is wrong. And he listens to this. So I'm not going to die. So let's, let's review what is happening to Eve. Eve questions God, his word. And by questioning God, Eve has an image of God that's tyrannical, that's a cosmic killjoy. And Satan is saying, God is wrong, there's no consequences to your sin. And if you eat of this fruit, then you get to determine what is good and wrong, what good, like right and wrong. Right? That's what's happening to her. And so, in verse 6, she looks at this fruit. With the context of Satan's argument, she looked at this fruit. And what, and, and what did she say? So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was delightful to the eyes, before Satan... When Eve looked at that tree, she says, that is forbidden, I'm going to obey, I'm not going to do it. But after Satan's have away with her, the tree looks very different, doesn't it? The tree looks delightful. It's good for me. And so she eats. That's like that with all sin. When you look at the prism through the eyes of God, you know what is right and wrong, and you know things that you shouldn't do, and that's true. But when you don't have God, everything looks permissive, everything looks good. And that's especially true about sex. Really. Sex is awesome. There's a whole Bible book about sex. Song of Solomon. That whole book's about sex, by the way. It's a celebration of sex. Sex is to be celebrated, it is awesome, when two people who are committed spiritually, financially, right, when they're conjoined, which is what marriage is, not living together, not I feel that I'm conjoined, no, when you're actually conjoined, sex is awesome. Oh man, I, I hope people don't say that, some Korean people hear what I just said. Sex is good. In God, sex is awesome. But apart from God, sex is 
Sex is a weapon, right? It is a weapon for various things. It is a weapon for men and women to control each other. It is a weapon, you know, for women to feel love. It is a weapon for men to feel dominated. It is a weapon where men, when people can use each other and throw away each other. It is a weapon that destroys souls, right? If it's used within the purposes of God, it is awesome. It is all proper from God. Sex is a weapon that kills souls, and that's true. But apart from God, when you look at sex, it's so delightful. It's good for me. I want to do it. And you do it, and it causes destruction. It is like that for all things. Start losing perspective of God. Things that are truly horrible for you looks pretty darn good. And when you partake of it, your soul spires out of control. Isn't this so real, what is happening to her? Like 5,000, like, I don't know how long ago. I don't know how long the earth is. Maybe 100,000 years ago. Whatever it is. Isn't this still happening right now to you? In 2018, in Fairfax, Virginia, it's the same story, same temptation, over and over and over again. Every day he comes to you with this kind of attitude. Did God really say? Oh, God is a tyrant cosmic killjoy. Oh, there's the consequences to your sin. Hey, you can make your own decision of what good and right is. Hey! And you go, okay. No wonder there's brokenness in your life, people. The question is, where is Adam? Was Adam hunting? Doing man's business? Going to the picking apples is women's business. I'm going to go hunt me some bear. Is that where Adam is? Adam is with her for success. What do you mean being with her? What does it mean? It means he's, he's right there. Adam is looking at this. Adam's not stopping her. Adam's just watching this transpire. And Adam is looking at what happens to Eve if she eats that apple. If, not apple, if it eats that fruit. That's what Adam's doing. Adam's not stopping. Adam is looking and seeing what, what, what will happen to Eve. <gasps> the great science experiment. What's going to happen to my wife if she sins against God? Adam is more curious. Adam is watching evil transpire before him to the person that he loves, and he does nothing. And you get to tell me, oh, that's not bad. You know, I'm not the one who ate. She's the one who ate first. Watching evil and not get, and not stopping it is just as evil as the act, isn't it? To give you an example. World War II, the Nazis trying to invade Russia, but they underestimated the cold Russian weather, and their supply chain got cut off, and they just couldn't, like, like you know, endure the storm. These Russian people are tough. They know how to be cold, right? Hence vodka, right? And they know how to be hungry, so they would boil their boots and eat their soup. These Russians were smart and and and, and patient, so the Nazis just couldn't handle it. So they were they retreated. But on their way to retreat, on their on their way to retreat back, they went to the like villages and towns during their retreat. They gathered the Jews of those towns and they executed the Jews. While they were retreating, they would go to towns and execute Jews. Sixty minutes, a couple of years ago, like visited those towns and, and interviewed the survivors. And one of the survivors said, when the Nazis would come. They would get all the Jews together, Jewish people together, and they would dig a big ditch, and they would put them there, and they would just shoot everyone. But what is more horrible is the townspeople. It was like a show for them. They would go above the ditch, and they would just watch what had happened. And they weren't outraged. They were there just observing it, taking it all in. And the survivor said, I don't know what is wor- more, worse evil, the Nazis who are shooting the gun or the people who are just looking at it, looking at people are dying. That's what Adam was doing, wasn't it? He's looking. Let's see what happens if she eats, eats that tree. Will she die? And she doesn't. And what does Adam say? Oh, 
She didn't die. I'm going to eat it too. What happens? They sinned. By the way, Adam is no hero. For those of you who think, oh, it's Eve's fault. That's what we guys think all the time, right? For some reason, our sinful guys, that's our mentality. We're the innocent party. It's Eve's fault. That's all all the guys here think that way. It's Eve's fault. No, it isn't. You weren't there stopping her. You did the same thing. And what happens? Verse 6. When they ate, their eyes opened. Right? Is it verse? Oh, verse 7. They both were, their eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked. What does it mean that they knew they were naked? It means they were ashamed. Why were they ashamed? Because Adam didn't have a six-pack? And Eve had cellulite? Was that, was that why they were... Cellulite! <gasps> yeah, I could go with Jim one. Is that what makes them embarrassed? Is that why they hid from one another? No, they were ashamed. And not because they were naked. They were ashamed because they knew what was inside of them was not good. Right before then, they weren't, they didn't, they weren't bad, they were good. But the very moment they rebelled, they know they were not good. And they became conscious of it. And they became ashamed of themselves. That is the, that is the mentality of human beings since the fall. Everyone knows that we're not good. Everyone knows that we're not acceptable as the way we are. You spend your entire life proving, trying to prove to yourself and to other people that you are good, that you are worthy somehow. It's true. That's your life's goal, by the way. To prove to yourself and to the other people that you're good. If you conform to the American dream, that you're good. If you have a successful career, that you're good. If you raise your kids well, that you are good. It is all the thing to do so that you will be good. But that voice will never go away. Because no matter what you pour into your life to make yourself feel good about yourself, that voice will never go away. Because your soul knows that you you, you rebelled against God. It's true. Where our obsession with beauty, our obsession with success, our obsession with big cars, big purses, all these things are just a way to prove to yourself that you're good. But it won't go away. Not only do they know they weren't good, they try to hide from themselves, right? They were this before. After the fall, they're like this. This, 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 this is precisely because you're trying to hide yourself from one another. Doesn't that kind of explain your life? It kind of explains mine. That's wrong with human beings. And it starts, once again, by questioning the very word of God, which leads to Making an image of God in your head that is not true. Which leads to believing in lies about God that is not true. Which leads to, that leads to sinful behavior that spires your life into chaotic mess. That's the destiny of human beings. If I ended here, that would be the most depressing sermon ever. Shall I end it? I'll end it if you want me to. How do we go back to the person that God has created to be? How do we go back to the right knowledge of God? How do we go back so that we will know that we are not right, that God is right and we are wrong? By the way, knowing that God is right and I am wrong, I am, I am wrong that is so freeing to be honest with you. How do you go back to that state? Can you perform church services enough? If you, do, if you serve the church enough, will you go back to that state? 
No. If you meditate enough, do yoga enough, would you go back to that state where God, where you already belong to God? No. What do you do? You can't go back. That's why God has to do it. That's how. That's why God sent the living Word, Jesus Christ, to us. Once again, the fall it started when the Word of God was questioned. Therefore, the way the way God mends our relationship back to Him is He sends us the living Word, Jesus Christ, and He comes and He serves and He dies for you. And he's raised again. And when you are united with him, God gives you a new nature. A nature in which that you you belong to God again. Listen to me carefully. Jesus Christ is not only your... He's not your ticket to heaven. Don't think of it in such, such childish terms. Jesus Christ came to recover your nature. So that you will belong to God again. And that is how you know whether you're truly born again. You really start to see that God is right and you are wrong. You really do start to see that. You know the song that we sang? I pour contempt on my pride. And that's true. Pride is thinking that I'm right and God is wrong. And when the, when the hymn writer wrote that, he looked at himself and said, yeah, that's what he used to do. I thought I was right. But I now look at, the, look at the cross of Christ and I realize I'm wrong and God is right. Therefore, I hate my pride. Do you hate your pride? Or do you think that you're still right? Is God changing your nature? Some of you, I see it. Right? And I pray that all of us will start to recover the nature that God has called us, God has made us to be. That can only be done through Jesus Christ. He gives us His Word so that we will know Him. He gives us His Word so that we will be united with Him. He gives us His Word so that our minds be filled with truth. He gives us His Word to sanctify us. That is why the Word of God is absolutely essential in your life. Without it, you are trapped in your madness. You must read. You must study. Otherwise, you can become very dangerous to yourself and to the people around you. Let us pray.